All right, y'all, what is up? And welcome back to another episode of Boarded Nerdy on a Tangent. I am your host, Estan the Legend, here with my good friend. And I'm going to, I'm not going to lie, he's looking beautiful tonight in his uh, Under Oath shirt. Uh, my co host, Dale. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm Dale. I'm doing good. It's just from work. It's been busy. It's the start of the month. Time to relax. <sighs> Let's relax by arguing about meaningless things. Well, that I would way. also like to say that's probably. That's probably the worst intro I've ever given, and I'm leaving it. You know, we do this thing raw and uncut live here on the Twitch. For those that you want to tune in one of these days from the iTunes to Spotify land, um, I don't edit it live, so I'm not going to edit it out of the recording, you know? So, Dale, I listened back uh, as I was editing through last week's episode, man. I have some regrets. I don't want to dredge it up but like there's things that i realized afterwards that i missed worlds that i love and i'm like how did i miss something like yoshi's island you know like Good stuff. just things of that nature where they stick out and and they're they're trapped up in there and i know it's hated and i don't want to sit there and keep going over old nintendo style games but like Mario 2 was a very important one for me, too, because it didn't fit with the rest of the Marios. Mario 2 is a weird one because it's not really Mario 2. It's another game that got no, put it's with not. the Mario label. Didn't they just, like, reskin Mario and leave everything else the same? Pretty much. Uh, I believe it was Tokidoki. Uh, Tokidoki was some sort of subtitle. Um, but, yeah, I think in Japan it was labeled as Mario USA. And it, but but I don't want I don't want to go back into another ninety minutes of it, man. But I'm hoping I changed my list for today four five times. Uh, three of them stayed on the entire time, uh, but the rest the rest swapped. We played musical chairs. Uh, for those of you who have no clue what we're talking about, um, last week we ended the show with this week's prompt. Not to become one of those top whatever shows, but to kind of let you guys know early on who Dale and I are as gamers, what our personal preferences. And the thing I love about it is I, I think Dale and I have, we have a lot of space where we cross over, but I also think we are very unique in our personal <laughs> biases of what we like and what we don't. Um, um, you're, you're, you're saying that you're saying that you change your list like five times, 15 times, whatever. Um, I had... I had a solid three that I, I knew on my list and I could not think of anything else. I've got a couple of like top mentions for those of mm. you who, who, who have been here, who know my style, who know my takes, who know my likes. Um, you know that I have a type and I'm just going to start off by saying, I apologize because I feel like this is an utter cop out, but I do have some honorable mentions that I can give at the end for various reasons. No, I like I like the idea of honorable mentions because there's a couple that I would like to bring up as well. So we're good with that. Um, I don't know if I said the prompt out loud yet because I'm great at this. Um, we ended the show last week with this week's challenge being coming up with. Did we say we had to order them before no, I any any I, order? I, okay, good. Because I didn't order mine. Um, these are just the our personal top five most rewarding boss fight experiences and we use the word rewarding because that could take on multiple meanings 
Uh, it could be progressing a story plot in a way that we found satisfying. It could be challenging in a way that pushed us to improve as a gamer, or just when we were done, we felt like we just won a gold medal, and it was just a satisfying feeling to beat a really difficult boss. Or maybe it was just a very well-designed, almost like, uh, what do they call those events where you have to push a single button in time? There's a name for them. The quick time events? Um, Quick time events. So there's there's bosses out there that are essentially glorified cinematics, but there's still something very rewarding about the experience. So our, our concept here is look back through our personal gaming experiences and note that I haven't played every game ever. Neither has Dale. We, we try to spread it out. We have uh, eclectic tastes in the sense that, you know, I'll play a first person shooter. I'll play a turn-based RPG. Like I'm not going to turn down any game. However, I'm not going to like every game. Yeah, I definitely, I will say that I have a more uh, more narrow uh, preference than you. So I'll be coming from that angle. Mm. I put, I didn't want to reach out to you on this. I wanted to let it be as organic as possible. Mm-hmm. I put a couple stipulations on myself that we did not put out there. So for instance, um, I'm trying to pick a series I didn't go into. All right, I'll talk about one I've never played. Okay. So, like, if I were going to say this boss in Assassin's Creed, I try to avoid all other Assassin's Creed titles. Because there's a few of these games that I played every game in the series. It could have kind of gone to very similar bosses, but chose not to. Um, So, I flat out stipulation I put on myself. I I, I tried (laughs) to do the same thing. Uh, I, I, I could not. Uh, I believe like the one stipulation that we both agreed to was to have only one entry, like one one boss per title per entry. Right. Um, I try to stay away. I didn't want every boss of Dark Souls one. Right. Right. I I, I try to stay away <laughs> from the uh, from games in the same series. Um, yeah, I I flat out failed. Uh, I will I will admit that right now. <laughs> You know what, though, man, and you guys will see in a moment. Dale already knows I I have one cop out. I have one pick that is a full blown cop out and and you'll get it in a minute. But the point here, guys, is like these are our list. They're supposed to be fun. We could put a whole bunch of rules, but this wasn't supposed to feel like work. And as I was looking for the (laughs) last time today um, at my list, I realized there was a lot of recency bias. So I actually had to pull up like my Steam library it scroll through to kind of like make sure I didn't miss something that I wanted to talk about. And uh, thankfully for some reason, I pulled up a launcher. I haven't opened in over 18 months and realized that there was a very important title in there. I forgot. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like a, uh, I think that was like a 645 add on, <laughs> um, but, but it got there. It got there. All right. So I guess now's the time to just, to just get, to get into it um so the way we're gonna break this down guys is we'll we'll go back and forth we'll we'll put our uh we'll put one out each we'll explain why we chose it what it meant to us and uh if you guys want to rip it apart and chat feel free to free. Uh, but just remember we we are better than you so therefore we are correct you are incorrect uh dale do you want honors of first game or all right so 
we're going to go with my first cop-out answer. I think this is the one. If anybody knows me, this is the one that they would probably expect first. Gwyn from Dark Souls 1, the final boss. Now, I love this fight. I love this ending. I love everything that this fight signifies. For those of you who are unaware of the game Dark Souls, the franchise Dark, Soil, Dark Souls, or the legend that it left behind, the entire idea is that this world has been plunged into the end of the Age of Fire. There's a great fire that needs to be linked, and someone needs to offer their body, their soul, to kindle the flame and prolong this Age of Fire, otherwise known as the Age of Gods. And there is a god that we hear about at the intro cutscene, Gwyn. This man, this mythical being, ended nearly all of these powerful, everlasting dragons, wiped them all out with his lightning, with his thunder, with his troops behind him. And he was this great, omniscient force. But then the fire started to fade. And he doesn't want his power to leave. So what does he do? He offers himself to feed the flame. His body becomes the fuel. And you go through the entire of the, the, the entirety of the game. You struggle. It's hard. You fight monstrous beings, monstrous demons to get to the end of the game. And it is, it's this hollow husk of a god. The fight is... I'm not going to say it's easy. It is far from the hardest fight in the game. And if you know anything about Plin Plin Fawn, you already know what's up. The music is beautiful. It's dramatic. It's tragic. It's sad. The fight is beautiful for such an, so, I don't know what, such a, an old game that it is, as clunky as it could be. Everything about the fight, thematically, mechanically, just really resonates with me. So I did my best to channel my inner teenager in there to look at you, to nod along, and miss as much of what you were saying as possible. <laughs> uh, I did a great job until you started talking about the music. And I don't do that as a means of disrespect. Dale knows exactly why I just did what I did. I, I, I plan on, I just, well, I shouldn't say I finished. I've got, I've got the end game content of Dark Souls 3 in front of me. Indeed. 85 hours. I've had a beautiful experience. And I already own two. I've got a bunch of money sitting in Steam uh, that I could get one with. And it inspired me. I want to go. I want to go experience the whole story. Um, so I'm going to be going back into Dark Souls 1. But I, I can appreciate uh, their use of sound and music throughout all their games. Um, even in ways that have annoyed me at times. Um, as we were playing through the DLC... Was that this morning? That was last night. Last night. We were playing through... And they those freaking shrieking harpies, dude, they're so damn annoying, but that sound needs to be there. And when you hear it elsewhere, it's just kind of like... The hair on the back of your neck stands up. Indeed. Uh, I've, sort of, I've sort of seen Gwen. I've seen Gwen with a giant snake up her butt. Uh, or his butt. You've seen Gwendolyn. Um, you've not seen Gwen. Oh, not the same. Not uh, Gwendolyn is Gwyn's son. 
I can't wait till you. See, I, got, I can't I got wait till you drop time. into three or sorry into one, because a lot of what you see in three, you're gonna be like, oh my god, that's what that means. It's gonna be really cool. Yeah, that's part of the reason I know I have to get into it. Uh, I'm excited for it. You know, I'm actually going to do the thing where, because I don't know where Dale's talk, what Dale's talking about, and this is such a good segue. It's my first um, boss fight that I want to talk about. I'm going to go ahead and steal the microphone and get into my first boss. Uh, so I'd like to give a shout out to probably the hardest and most rewarding fight I had in my Dark Souls 3 experience. Uh, took me almost three and a half hours to defeat him. And I think I jumped out of my chair and knocked over half the things in my man cave. <laughs> Uh, when I defeated Pontiff. Yep. Um, so Dark Souls 3 did not come easy to me at all. Uh, still is not easy for me. Can't confirm. And this fight was like, hey, you're doing great. You're halfway through the game and you suck. <laughs> Let's make sure that you're ready to continue moving forward. Because you're that little baby bird that just because you flew out of the nest... You think you know what you're doing, but you don't. So let's just do that gut check real quick before you head into mobs that are harder than half the bosses you've faced so far. <laughs> um, Pontiff has those beautiful swords uh, that they, they're they very much so in line with, you know, when you go and you see Dancer later on. Um, that two swords, two different elements, very flowy there's a rhythm, almost a dance to the fight that I just absolutely loved. And as somebody that loves when a game logically punishes you for your mistakes, I felt like this fight did a great job of rewarding you when you were correct mm. and beating the ever-loving shit out of you when you were wrong. And it just felt so good when I finished it. Yeah, for for sure. I, I absolutely agree with that. And one of the things that I, I told you that I, I stand by with Dark Souls 3. One of my favorite things about it is that I think out of all the games in the series, it is probably the game that highlights different players' skill sets the most. And what I mean by that is that not every player is going to approach something the same way. Not every player is going to have an easy time with one boss and a hard time with another boss. There are a lot of bosses that would be easy for one player because of how they interpret things, how they read things and really hard for another player with how they interpret things, how they read things. And that's fine. That's that's valid. Pontiff, to me, is the first boss in the game that just becomes this really high skill wall. And he's there not just to be a dick and to be hard. He's there to be like, hey, man, we really need you to own up. We need you to get good. We need you to learn how to play. After this, you're going to understand the game a lot better Let's let's move forward now. Let's let's get you there, and that's one of the things I really respect about the Ponta fight. When the game tells you to get good, I mean, the game's not wrong though. You know, there's so many so many amazing fights I've experienced. I could have made three three fifths of this list. Um, you know, Dark Souls three bosses, but to to keep it versatile, to keep it uh, interesting for those that don't have the same love affair that. 
we've been spewing about for the past couple weeks on the show. Uh, I want to explore, but I would like to say that Aldrich could very easily have gone in here for me, Ooh, and one that I know we're one that I know we're going to hear about from you later on um, could have also made it in here for me. So, Dale, who's your second boss on your list? Yeah, I got to type. Um, also, going Dark Souls three. It's Frida. Um, <laughs> that did take long. Yeah, I figured. I mean, might as well. Might as well keep up with it now. Frida. Oh my god. Um, so Dark Souls three came out after Bloodborne, and there was a DLC that dropped for Bloodborne uh, called the Old Hunters. There's a boss that was in there, uh, Maria. I believe Maria of the Astral Tower is her full title, I believe. The fight with Frida felt very much like they took the essence of the Maria fight and just put it into Dark Souls 3. Um, I, I cannot talk about this fight enough. Uh, I love how flowy and dance-like, and you got to like really feel the rhythm of the uh of the the phases as it progresses my first phase you get frida a lot uh, sp <clears throat> spoilers for a dlc that dropped like a year and a half ago uh frida get first phase alone and you got to manage oh man she's turning invisible oh man her attacks are real fast oh man she has ice stuff what do i do and you get the time in that fight to be like all right this is how i counter this i know that she does this i know she does that what do i do you beat her you get to phase two. You get a larger arena. The dude in the back is like, hey, I'm actually like really angry now. I'm going to spew fire everywhere. And Frida's just like, oh, yeah, I'm still here, by the way. Uh, you're dead. Phase two felt like a better version of multi-enemy fights than Souls games have had in the past. I have a huge issue when... People revel in the in the multi fights. Um, specifically, there's one for Dark Souls One that I despise. It's around the halfway point, and I despise it because it just feels bad. There are points where it just it doesn't feel quite right because they haven't gotten the, the the two characters to mesh perfectly well, and with Frida and Ariandel. I feel like they were able to get it really well. Better than other fights in Souls 3, even, uh, like the Abyss Watchers. I think the Abyss Watchers is a, is a cool fight, and I love the Phase 2. The same reason, same with Pontiff, for the same reason why it transfers over to Frida. It's all about how you read the, uh, read the tells, how flowy the moves are, and if you get into the rhythm, you feel the beat. You, you understand what's going on. And it's a huge test of, I don't know, huge test of skill, just pure skill. So we experienced that one together uh, last night. And to kind of jump on a couple of the points you made there, uh, one thing I liked about the phase two with there being two bosses, a lot of times when you run into either two bosses or a boss that has a bunch of ads, they don't feel connected. They feel like different experiences at the same time. I'm fighting this guy, but I'm also fighting this guy, not necessarily together. Uh, whereas phase two of the Frida fight, they are cooperating and collaborating, and you are fighting both of them as one cohesive unit at a time. 
uh, which I found to be a very refreshing take rather than being like, oh, crap, the timing of the dude with the spear, the timing of the dude with the sword aren't matching up. So when I'm supposed to be able to heal or punish for this guy, I can't because this guy's not perfectly in sync. This fight feels clunky and just frustrating. Um, I uh, get that feeling of phase two. And to your whole point about the rhythm, I think the biggest tell of this for those that watched the experience happen uh, live last night, because we were both streaming it. Um, I think I got killed six or seven times in a row on phase three in the first two or three swings of her scythe. Yep. And I was like, what the hell? I can't dodge this. There's, there's nothing. No, like this is undodgeable. God damn it. This game is broken. I hate it. This game's stupid. Um, and then it clicked. And once it clicked, it was like I was making fun of her as I'm dodging her six hit combos. Uh, and there's a lot of fights that are like that throughout the entire Soul series. But I think what made this one, um, like you said, you know, Pontiff is one within the same game that kind of feels this way. But I think the story that's told through that whole experience as well is something that probably caught me more so than even the fight itself. Um, unlocking the different characters in the zone around you. Um, seeing the relationship, uh, the father-daughter relationship, uh, the differences between the two and the definitely the different vibes, the cutscenes that come as you progress into each one, even the one that's uh, not necessarily a cutscene, but what they call that, like uh, it's like an in-game scene where it, at the start of phase three, it's still all very well done and draws you in to this whole experience of a fight. Um, that's kind of nice because you don't always get that with Dark Souls. Sometimes you just walk through a doorway and there's some dude sleeping. And like me personally, I kind of sometimes feel bad when I just walk up to this like giant that's just sleeping. And I smack him in the side of the head with a sword. And he's like, bro, I was literally watching Netflix. Leave me alone. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, sometimes it's it's not the monster that we're fighting. That's the monster. Sometimes we're the monster. It's It's messed up. Uh, to, but to, I, I, I enjoyed it very much so. To add to your point, though, like one of my favorite things about the fight isn't just the mechanics, the, the boss itself, that it looks cool. The story behind it is great. It's expanded on in the other DLC that you've not played, so I don't want to go too far into it. But the mm. entire narrative of why the Ashes of Ariandale DLC is important to the entire history of Dark Souls is really fascinating to me as someone who is very fond of a certain place in Dark Souls 1. And those of you who have played Dark Souls 1 know exactly what I mean. So, to get us out of the realm of Dark Souls, let me let me grab the microphone back. Uh, guys, I promise you, I don't mention Dark Souls again. Oh. By my own rule, by my own rule, I, Dark Souls 3 is, is done. It's the only Dark Souls I played. So, so let's get some different flavors up in here. Sure. Uh, I kind of, I kind of feel like this is one of my two cop out answers. Uh, just because I don't think you could see a top boss fight list of any kind, whether it be difficulty, whether it be intrigue, or you know, design. Um, I don't think you could see one of those lists where this fight doesn't exist. Okay. However, as a young man playing this game, the weekend it was launched. This was one of the first games I actually bought on launch. Um, 
and getting so frustrated with this. Psycho Mantis out of Metal Gear Solid. Oh God, I'm so happy that you listed that because I was I was trying to cut a place to get it in, but it was it became one of my honorable mentions. I personally loved it for a multitude of reasons. Um, at the time that came out, it, it Mantis kind of had this Marilyn Manson vibe going, um, and like you know, as as a child of that age, uh, you weren't cool unless you supported Manson and his uh, counterculture ways. Um, but also, just it, it had this phase one that was fun on its own. And then he was like, yeah, I got more tricks for you. To have a game sit there and go, oh, you like Tony Hawk. I see you really enjoy RPG games. Oh, do you need to save again in whatever? It actually took the information off of your memory card broke the fourth wall and was like, Hey, these are the other things you're playing. And depending on what the titles were, there was actual voice lines for it. Yep. Uh, like one of the things that hit me really hard was when it was like, Oh, so you like Konami games. Like, yo bro, get out. Stop. (laughs) I didn't actually initially catch on to it. Uh, I was playing with a friend who was always too scared to play these games. He loved to rent them. He always had the newest gaming systems, but I would hold the controller and he would just help me solve all the riddles and everything. Sure. And he was actually the one that picked up on the idea that you had to switch your controller port to beat him. When we won the fight after that, we put the controller down and like did one of those geeky, I think we were tweens when, when this <laughs> went down and we like grabbed each other by the elbow. We jumped up and down and we're like, yeah, it was just such a cool experience. And there had not been anything else like it at that point in time in video games. Yeah. It's, I think that is like the epitome of like the Kojima um, essence, to be honest, like it's, it's out there. It's meta. It's really cool. I think that is, I feel like everything that Kojima's tried to do since then has been trying to like reignite the flame of excitement that that sparked and just kind of missed a shot. I think that might be a hot take. I know, I, know, I know people like Kojima. I'm, I'm not trying to hate on Kojima. I just, it's not, a lot of his stuff is too avant-garde for me that might not be the right right term but it's it's just it's too out there for me i i just want to put it out there like this and you could call it a hot take i will die on this hill i could have purchased again today it was offered to me death stranding for 7.99 and i said no thank you 7.99 i have no interest it would just be another one of those games that i look and go huh you could be a 60 minutes or less game but i know it's going to be or less oof rough Dale who's up next for you so we're done with Dark Souls but we're not done with the Bloodborne so (laughs) um, Bloodborne was the game that Miyazaki was working on while taking a break from Dark Souls 2 Uh, B team stepped in to lead Dark Souls 2 I think Miyazaki might have seen some like uh, some slight uh, development in 2 uh, but he was mostly preoccupied with Bloodborne, from my understanding. Bloodborne was released as an exclusive game for the PS4 and 
by Gology. What a beautiful Lovecraftian gothic horror, cosmic horror take was this. Everything about it is beautiful. One of my favorite bosses from this cosmic Lovecraftian horror gothic thing, monstrosity, is Father Gascoigne. Now this guy, who let me tell you about this world. So in the world of Bloodborne, we're in the city of Yarnum. There are hunters who hunt beasts. And people have a tendency of having... How, how do we simplify this? We could say people have bad blood. They turn into beasts and they roam, ravage the city. And the hunters are there to exterminate them. I'm kind of thinking of like, if y'all have played Final Fantasy IX, it's kind of like the hunt that takes place on... I think it's towards the end of disc one. Might be towards the middle. It's been a long time since I've played nine. And all hunters, as we come to find out, kind of had this tendency to, to turn into beasts. It's it's an unfortunate part of the world. It's kind of it's like that cyclical nature that Dark Souls is all about. Among the all the aliens and gothic cosmic horror and everything else. Papa Gascoin is the first required boss for you to move forward. I think this is incredibly important for one of the reasons why I very much enjoy him. You can complete a whole side quest that develops the lore in the background for Gascoin. You can meet his family. You can meet uh, one of his daughters. And she sends you out trying to look for her mother, trying to uh, look for her father, who you find out is Gascoin. And as you enter the fight, you enter this graveyard area. You see... Gascoigne uh, chopping down on a body. I believe it might be. It's either another hunter or a beast. I don't remember. And he challenges you. You kind of you, you, you got to go through with the fight. You got to get through. So what, what happens? Well, you attack Gascoigne. About halfway through the fight, he has a transformation, period. And he turns into a beast. You see the effect of happen right in front of you as the first required boss this isn't just some like mythical thing we hear about in some vague lore no you see this play out right in front of you and this is a direct warning this is you in the future i love that it's a really punishing fight it's hard if you're not used to uh these types of games it's hard if uh you're not used to just action games and even if you are, it's still it's getting everything down. It's, it's a new game. It's a new system. It's it's, it's rough. And I, I appreciate that about it, that uh, it, it challenges the player right off the bat. But in the boss area, you find an item that relates to the mother that you were sent to search for. And there might have been some uh, some unpleasant business take place between the mother and the no longer sane Papa Gascoigne. And there are so many different aspects to this fight. I just find it really tragic and a great opening to the world of Yardum. So when you say hunters, in my mind, I'm like going to Van Helsing. Is yeah. that kind of like the vibe we're talking? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Bloodborne was a PlayStation exclusive. Uh, which made it ruin the whole experience for those of us that refuse to buy consoles. 
Um, Rumors for Bloodborne on PC. Let's go. Hey, I would I would be right there. I would I would snatch that up in a second. Absolutely. Uh, so, so Dale has a type. Um, you know, not blonde <laughs> or brunette, just Lovecraftian and, Absolutely. and Miyazaki related. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say that the next boss from Dale's list, because he's all done with uh, Bloodborne and he's all done with Dark Souls, is going to be from Sekiro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You'll find out, I guess. Uh, Rourke, Rourke writes all my material. Um <laughs> We're, we're going to get into my uh, my second cop-out. Um, and I want you guys to hear me out on this. I think those who were around during this uh, generation and, and time of gaming will understand what I mean when I say this. Um, this one is not necessarily for any one boss, which is what kind of makes it feel like a cop-out. But I think we have to give credit for what it helped to lend to the Metroidvania genre, even though it itself was not necessarily one. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. I'm talking about the collective bosses of Mega Man 3. Ah, here's what I mean by three. this. Okay. So I had a very specific one in mind when, when I came up with this uh, because I remember being stuck on uh, the, the snake dude, the snake man. Um, hmm. Something that Mega Man did that was later on like the foundation of these metroidvanias is you could be any level at any time you got to a main menu and you would select which boss you were going to however the most optimal way to beat any boss was always to beat their uh i don't want to say their counterpart but there was kind of like a Pokemon system of, you know, this type is supposed to beat that type. And if you beat this boss first, you inherit his powers, which will give you the most optimal way to beat this other boss. So as a kid, I used to get stuck on these levels. And uh, my it was actually my babysitter that taught me this. He was like, dude, why don't you just go beat this guy first? Then with his power up, this guy becomes easier. And then once you beat him, you could progress to this area. Kind of like how certain areas are locked off or are, you know, skill based locked off in the Metroidvanias of uh, later on. Right. I think of the great experience I had. and And for me, this was the first game where that became something important. Um, You know, I was coming out of the realm of Mario where, we literally faced the exact same Bowser over and over again on a bridge uh, to Sonic where, yeah, there was a little bit of a twist between them. Yes, I did play Sonic before I played Mega Man. I understand the timeline there. <laughs> Don't yell at me, okay? Um, but I'm coming off these situations where it's like, just figure out when to bop the dude, right? Like that was the mechanic you had. Yep. Figure out when to bop the dude. Whereas Mega Man brought in this idea of this guy throws a spray shot. This guy throws a boomerang shot. This guy makes you be able to walk on the walls. And with those skills, other bosses now completely change in how you can approach them. It really changed gaming for me. and really had an impact on me. 
And I promise you this is the only time I'm going to come out here with not naming a specific boss. But I think the collective experience for me was super important. Um, I'm also having a little bit of a flashback because this guy that's currently playing in the video, uh, Top Man, wrecked me for like forever. Um, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't get the timing down of the, uh, the AOE homing tops. So that's, that's my third game, my third recommendation into my top five most rewarding boss experiences was learning how to maximize and utilize and optimize Mega Man abilities. All right, well, I'm going to steal the mic here. My next answer is also kind of a cop-out, so I'm glad you went first. So <laughs> my next series is going to be Hollow Knight. I feel like that should be no surprise for people who who enjoy Souls. There's a lot of crossover between Souls fans and Metroidvania fans, and Hollow Knight is a top-tier, S-tier, S-plus-tier Metroidvania. Fantastic game. And there are two fights in particular that really spoke to me that I found very rewarding. The first being... The Mantis Lords. So mm -hmm. I know, I think we they were on this. my list and taken off. Oh, that's so, that's, well, you got Psycho Mantis. That's fine. That's a mantis of some sort. <laughs> so. I figured you'd cover it. I honestly figured you'd cover it for us. So that's why I left it. That's funny. I'm, I'm glad you got Psycho Mantis. Then I didn't have to get it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think we had talked about this on the last uh, episode or sometime previously. I don't want to get too far into why I love the Mantis Lords, but a lot of it comes from the world building of the fight themselves. Uh, you beat the you meet you beat the Mantis Lords. All of the Mantises in the area are now non-hostile to you. They're friendly. They're helpful. They let you access a new area and get a new charm or a new way to like augment yourself. Not a new ability, but a different thing you can do. Um, I love the wording. I love that they're an optional fight and you don't get thrown into the fight. You have to go out of your way to challenge them. And that is one of the most power, one of the most powerful yet subtle things in the game that really spoke to me. And I love it so much. The music, phenomenal. Absolutely great. The patterns, get you used to how bosses in the game work. And I very much like the kind of twitchy uh, reaction-based bosses. I like seeing, okay, I got a fast thing coming towards me. Where do I need to go? How do I attack? How do I capitalize on this? What am I doing? And kind of the same way that I approach Souls, game, Souls games with the philosophy of I don't care how many times I die. I just want to learn this goddamn fight. I want to understand this fight fully and know how to take advantage of every single opportunity i can and i feel like the mantis lords in particular very much suit that kind of mindset and are kind of designed for it there is a second version of them i believe this was released in dlc they're uh, i believe they're called the sisters of battle where instead of in the original fight you fight one one-on-one -on -one, and then the other two come down no 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 in this one you fight all three at the same time, but it's the two fights overlaid on top of each other. So you have to manage them both at the same time. And it is so, 
so beautifully done. One of the best fights in the game. And completely optional, completely missable. And I, yeah. I, I know I know I'm going on a, a, about a lot here. I don't know if I should save the other uh, fight for an honorable mention because it's it's I kind of feel the same way about it. Um, but it just kind of ups the difficulty and ups the reaction and the skill by like a hundred. I almost threw that fight in, um, just just because you know as we were discussing the the world that's locked away behind those lords um they're not attacking you because they hate you they're not attacking you cuz you're hostile to them they're attacking you to make sure you are ready and it's kind of almost like uh it, it, in my mind the way i look at it is it's almost like the pontiff fight you need to be able to beat us to to really do well moving forward um so let's see how let's see how you do and the fact that there's the bowing and, and then the change of the attitude of all the mantis people afterwards um you know it's not just rewarding because you won a hard fight and it's a well-designed fight that area sucks yeah it does and to have to have all the mantis just be like yo you've proven yourself to us free passage homie oh very good uh, it's it's definitely definitely appreciated. So, I don't know which one of these. Well, actually, I do. No, no, that's right. I forgot that I I chose my path because of uh, kind of the vibe that you just gave. Um, this fight I chose because of spending ten hours of a game wanting to punch a son of a bitch in the face. And then finally getting the chance to do so. Not only that, but realizing why that character behaves the way they do. But yet you still want to punch them in the face. But you understand them a little better. And to some degree, there's even a slight feeling of like, I feel bad for you. There's a little, there was a little bit of empathy and, and sympathy there. Uh, but we still killed the shit out of Seymour and his summon anima from Final Fantasy X. Interesting. This fight, this fight, uh, there's been very few characters in games that I have had such raw and deep-seated hatred for as I had for Seymour. First off, Mr. Steal Your Girl, always trying to make moves on our main squeeze, like, back off, homie. You go back to uh, Guadoville, or whatever they call it, where the Guados live, and you leave our sweet uni alone. That's our girl. Um, also, how dare you entrap the soul of your own mother, you asshole. Uh, plus, let's, let's be honest. By winning the fight, you unlock the ability to then earn yourself anima. And... Let's be real. That's all you needed to beat the rest of the game. True. Um, it was True. it was a done deal from from that point on. I think the only character I've ever had more organic and natural hatred for in any game ever was probably Hope from Final Fantasy Thirteen, even though he was technically a good guy. God, I can't stand uh, that whiny little bitch. We'll, we'll, we'll put good in in quotes. 
But the other thing I loved about this fight was as somebody that relied um, very, very heavily on the magic um, to win most of my fights, the way that Seymour, he had phases where he would reflect your magic back at you or he would reflect your physical damage. And it really actually, as uh, somebody that Final Fantasy X was the first Final Fantasy I played, understanding what I was doing, it was a really great fight to kind of teach me what to look for um, on the more difficult bosses in the game. Yeah, a like lot of them too. had a mechanic such like that, you know, where shell or protect or reflect was was something that they would cast. And you needed to not just pay attention to what you could do, but also to what your opponent could do, which was not something I was really doing a great job of prior to this fight. Yeah, yeah, I definitely so respect that, that take. I like that a lot. Man, also, can we just talk about for some reason in the video I chose, they renamed Titus to Boner. Um, that is something special. <laughs> so funny that you went with a Final Fantasy. Because um, as fate would have it, I, uh, I, um, I'm basic, and I also went to Final Fantasy. I didn't go with one of my favorites. Well, I can't say that. I didn't go with my all-time favorite. Uh, Final Fantasy VI. And this moment is... I, I think I think y'all who've played Six know where I'm going with this one. It's a boss fight, but it's not. So I might be kind of skirting the line here. It's a boss fight? Question mark. Boss fight? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah. So pretty early on in the game, we're introduced to the character of Kefka. Kefka Palazzo, I believe. And you see the dude, he's kind of bumbling around. He's got a short temper. He's got this this complex with him. It's really rude, really crass, uh, really dismissive, and just an all-around clown, we'll say. And as he goes through the game, he starts to really build up. He starts to really be a threat. And you find him a couple of times, you're like, whoa, whoa, man, sit down. The guy is cutthroat ruthless at points. There comes a point where I believe it's the, the emperor wants to team up with you to take Kefka down because he's outgrown his... Not outgrown his usefulness. Uh, the king has outgrown his usefulness to Kefka, and Kefka wants the um, to defect from the empire and rule the world, as you know, villains have it. Kefka goes, gets godlike power, breaks up the uh, the goddesses or the gods in the sky, what what are called the warring triad, takes their power, and wins. The bad guy wins he royally screws up the world and it's not until like a year later he scatters the party everywhere across the continent and he got to pick up the broken remains and it's kind of this like cinematic pseudo fight thing where it's not a real boss fight until you get to him after that but you got to deal with the events that transpired and took place and 
by God. If that didn't have like nine-year-old, ten-year-old me on the floor, like, oh my God. Am am I am I am I going to win? Am I going to beat him? It was jaw-breaking to me. Is that one of those um fights where you're not really supposed to win or lose like it's just when the fight would end the storyline kicks in or the cutscene kicks in and you follow that i recommend playing six for yourself to find out the answer to that <sighs> what actually i i have six i have four five six the original seven i think eight in my steam library I there's a sale i recommend my holy trinity of final fantasy games Six, seven, nine. I think those are the quintessential games that people interested in the Final Fantasy series or RPG genre should really try out. See, the thing that concerns me is I have played seven a multitude of times to the point that you meet the dog thing named Red whatever. Uh, I think we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. Probably three or four different times I've gotten up to that point. It just doesn't pull me in, man. And I think a large part of that was because uh, while I played some of the Final Fantasies when I was younger, I didn't understand what I was doing. And the first Final Fantasy that meant anything to me was 10. It was my first real playthrough sitting down going, okay, I'm playing a Final Fantasy game. And then uh, the next one I connected with was 13. Um, and... I think it has a lot to do with the fact that if you look at the world building and the styles of the world of 10 and 13, they're very similar. Um, they're very nature based. They're very spirit based. They're very like there's grass. Whereas seven, it's just like this fallen apart, like dump of a mechanical city with some guy that has a Gatling gun for an arm. Well, like, I, I don't understand. I will say that that is like a 12th of the experience. And it definitely you. Yes, you but it takes you three hours. You it takes you three hours to get out of that. That's yeah, what I'm saying. For sure. For, for sure. You know. Yeah. And, and games. If you watch sixty minutes or less, you'll know. Games don't get that amount of my time. They don't. It is. It is a definite slow burn, which I think is one of the unfortunate parts about seven. So, the last thing I put on my official list. Um, might be received very negatively, but uh -oh. I could have thrown a multitude of fights from this game onto this list. But this fight very specifically was important to me because of what class I played while playing this game. So my fifth and final entry into my official list is Professor Putricide from World of Warcraft, very specifically the 25-man heroic version. Now, ICC, I will fight tooth and nail for all the World of Warcraft I played, which was through Cataclysm, took a break, then I played Legion. ICC was by far the... Best designed, it felt like the most meaningful raid area of all the WoWs that I played. What I loved about Putricide specifically, though, 
is he really highlighted mechanics within tanks. I played a uh, prop pally for those of you that play World of Warcraft. You know that our job is usually just to stand in front of the boss, get smacked in the face, and to run away when we have too many dots, pop our bubble, and go back in. And that's literally 99 out of 100 fights. Professor Putricide required tanks to get into these uh, automatons. I don't know what to call them. They're they're not quite mechas. They were like the the things for Five Nights at Freddy's. They were just these mechanical the creature things that could be yeah. Um, it required tanks to get into those animatrons and pick up poison that was killing their group. It was kind of the first and only time I felt like World of Warcraft said, hey, tanks, we appreciate you. We want to give you something that makes you the star of the fight and makes you somebody that... Because prior to this, it was like, all right, you're a prop pally with this gear rating. We'll invite you. Professor Putricide made it so it was like, okay, explain the mechanics of the fight to us before we invite you into the raid. Do you know what you're doing? And once you got to be known as like the guy that knew what they were doing, you weren't just a dime a dozen tank anymore. You were the guy that knows the future side fight. You were the guy. So Exactly. Uh, so I had to throw it on there because I put, I think when I stopped playing WoW, when you, there used to be a command that was just like slash playtime. Um, I think I had over six months of playtime when I stopped playing, when I stopped playing WoW. Um, And this was the only time I felt like as a tank, I was important. Somebody actually cared about my feelings. That's good. I mean, it's, and I feel like this is true for any sort of game, especially multiplayer game that has a support based class system. They're, they're, they're left in the dust. I don't want to say they're trash. They're, most more often than not essential to survival or making things tolerable but get so much crap thrown at them because they're perceived to be useless or they don't do mm-hmm. anything or they're lazy and without their lazy butts y'all wouldn't be alive guys be thankful for your tanks and healers please i see i see I think, as you say that as you say that I think back to my overwatch experiences and the game would start off with, yo, somebody, quick, pick Mercy. Halfway through the game, the Mercy makes a request like, hey, can you guys stay in my line of sight of healing? And then somebody would follow up with, shut the fuck up. You play Mercy. Like, if you didn't have a Mercy, you cried for a Mercy. Yep. But you always bitched at the Mercy. You know, you don't, you don't support or you don't appreciate your supports until you need them. Show them some love beforehand. Absolutely. Not everybody could be the stabby stabby or the sniper. So Dale, did we get did we get all five of yours? I feel like we got all five indeed. And I have like seven all right, so, uh, honorable mentions. <laughs> so let's hear let's hear uh give me two of your honorable mentions. Now I'll give you my honorable mentions are actually a collective. Uh so so let's get a couple of your honorable mentions real quick. Okay, um, I'm, I've got a couple. Uh, I just want to mention, then a couple I'll just expand on. Uh, y'all know me for my souls. It's my souls takes. Uh, I've got Ludwig 
from the Bloodborne DLC. Uh, I've got Sekiro with Sword Saint Sheen. Um, there it is. <laughs> look, man, it's not in the top five. It don't count. <laughs> I'm getting off scale. I'm, the... I'm waiting for the Demon Souls reference here. Thankfully, there is no Demon Souls. I shouldn't say thankfully because I, I, I really enjoy Demon Souls as a game. But the bosses are not as cohesive as they are when when the series has evolved. Um, and then Code Vein with Cannoneer and Bladebearer specifically. All right, and there, there's a caveat. I very much enjoyed Code Vein. I played about half of the game solo. For those of you who don't know, Code Vein is like anime souls. It's the same kind of formula. Uh, the whole uh, you know, tough bosses, you got like the action, stamina bar, light attack, heavy attack, spells, yada yada. There, There's a certain different uh, uh, mechanic based on magic and how magic works and your abilities and progression. It's, it's interesting. I definitely recommend giving it a try if you enjoy Souls games. But you're meant to play through the game with an NPC partner. The game is designed around that. And you can choose to opt out of having that partner with you. It makes things so much more difficult, especially when things can just straight up nearly one-shot you. And your NPC has an ability to give up some of their health to bring you back. And that's kind of the mechanic that the game's designed around. Well, Buckaroo, uh, when you get two really, really tough bosses and you play the game solo, and they're both really, really well-designed bosses, kind of the way that I was talking about how Frida and Ariandel in Phase 2, they're two bosses in one battle, but they work around each other, and they, they I don't want to say interact with each other, but they kind of like work off of each other's movesets and whatnot. That is exactly what that fight felt like, and it was so dang good. I, th probably the most fun I had with the game, period. I actually was looking. Uh, is it is five hundred five somehow uh, in, uh, involved in Code Vein? Uh, publisher, maybe. So I'm pretty sure. As I was looking through, uh, I think it was Humble was doing a five hundred five sale. Uh, that came across and. I almost pulled the trigger on it, but I want to do Dark Souls 1 before I get involved in it. Yeah. Um, that was a game when a lot of you guys were hyped on it. I didn't get the hype because I also didn't fully appreciate or understand the Metroidvanias, um, which I got to give a shout out to Hollow Knight for opening my eyes to what that genre could be. Damn right. So I only had one honorable mention, but it's actually three different um, animals. What? within one game uh only two of them are bosses and the rest is it's just a a mob what i know that's weird hear me out on this resident evil 2 the alligator Ooh. so interesting story about resident evil 1 um i rented it several times from a place called tommy k's video Anybody that lives in the Northeast, you know what Tommy K's video is, unless you're one of those scrubs that lived in New York and had Blockbuster before the rest of us. Um, I never got past the garden before I had to return it. 
So I did not fully get to experience um, the whole second area in Resident Evil 1 until I literally beat it as a 25-year-old. Resident Evil 2 was my first Resident Evil that I owned and got to beat. And there was many times where we'd be running through ankle deep, knee high water, and it felt creepy, but it never felt like we were going to get punished for being in water. Um, The alligator put the fear of the unseen into me. And while the fight itself was not super difficult, if you had enough healing, enough bullets, you could survive by just essentially backstepping and making sure that you hit it more than it hit you. Um, But it was more this idea that the world isn't safe and it's not just zombies. Now we have to look out for And within that same category um, in one, when you get attacked by the sharks, it again reminded you that you have to be on the lookout for more than just the zombies of the world. Uh, I give an honorable mention to the Resident Evil dogs. Um, I will put, now that I've played through Dark Souls 3, I'll put any fucking dog in any game ever. <laughs> um, but just, I, there's something about a game just reminding you you're not safe that I actually really appreciate. Uh, Because I could get very lackadaisical, especially when I start to get mechanics down in the game. And when trees come to life or there's pitfalls or, you know, 30-foot alligators come out of the sewer to try to bite your face off. um, I just find that a very enjoyable experience. Having 30-foot alligators bite my face off is what I call fun. I like it. Dale, did you have any more honorable mentions you want to bring up? Or Boy, howdy, did I? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I've got like another five because I'm just indecisive. So uh, I've got two from Kingdom Hearts, Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2. And I know not everyone likes a series and everyone's all about it. I get it. I get it. I very much enjoyed the combat of 1 when I was younger. It has not aged well. I will fully admit that up front. It's not. It's not great. Two is a lot better. A lot better. So in Kingdom Hearts 1, they get the big guy. They get the big bad. They get Sephiroth. And Sephiroth is made out to be this ultra badass bro. And you go fight him. He's a secret boss. Uh, If you beat him on the normal difficulty, then you have access to a hidden cutscene. I think you start to have access. He's one of the requirements... Uh, to get a hidden cutscene at the end of the game after you beat the final boss. And I love that they kind of like hid that behind um hid that behind him. It's a kind of like cool kind of tribute thing, I guess. Jesus, the fight is so hard. Um it is ridiculous. It is known for being like one of the hardest extra bosses of the first few games. It's it's insane. He has a whole hidden health bar. Like, if you have the scan ability on that lets you see the enemy health bars, you hit them, you hit them, you hit them. It's not going down. You're like, oh, man. Are, are, are my attacks not doing anything? The guy has, like, seven different phases for his different health bars. It's it's insane. There's so much going on. And he has uh, his classic ability of getting down to one health 
if you let him use his uh oh no i think that was kingdom hearts 2 i'm confusing that for kingdom hearts 2 my apologies uh he has an ability that lets you that uh lets him take your health all the way down to one reduce your mp to zero if you wait long enough and it is just brutal it is such a good fight that tests your mechanics of an already clunky system to the extreme even better when you do it on level one with initial equipment only with like two bars of mp it's dumb and it's great fun i highly recommend it uh my other top pick would be lingering will from kingdom hearts 2 um i don't have much to say about it uh those of you who've played it you know my pain uh how how it got through testing i don't i don't know it's it's beyond me but it's 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 a fun fight once you stop banging your head against the wall for hours on end and i have two more i'm sorry to like keep have so so <laughs> many i just i could not decide and i feel kind of bad because like i want these to be at the top of my list i wish i could have just compounded all of the souls like games into just like one caveat but i feel like they all needed to be talked about in their own right because they're i like them for different reasons so dead cells all right i know you Estan. you don't like roguelikes really and i i get that i appreciate that that's that's fine and dandy the final boss of dead cells if you're playing on twitch streaming on twitch chat can kind of control them chat can enter commands and the boss will do various things in your game i it it took me hours upon hours on end to get to the final boss to begin with for my first playthrough i died 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 final boss first time there chat went crazy I used up everything I had. I was about to land the final blow. I had maybe like five health left to my name. And I get it in. Last second. I'm about to be hit by a bomb. Nope. Final attack. Having the sort of interaction with the community like that, even though it's a roguelike, and there's not a whole like lot of developed deep story, deep lore about it, it's kind of, it, it really is at face value. It felt so heartwarming. It felt so wholesome to know that I beat chat. And that's, that's, that's the takeaway. <laughs> I beat chat. Therefore I am superior. Therefore I am superior uh, gamer. <laughs> am so I, yep. th that is, that's an interesting, um, an interesting take on like the the feeling of of reward of uh you know i got to beat chat is the rewarding feeling you got there mm -hmm. um different mechanic that we haven't really touched on with anything else yet that's why i wanted to include it i was debating on whether to take uh bloodborne off and replace it with dead cells but i feel like dead <sighs> Dead Cells, even though it's a great feeling and it's a very high like personal reward, it doesn't expand upon much else. And it's more like a sort of personal feeling, kind of like with what you were saying about Psychomantis. Like once you realized 
what's going on and how it affected you and it's kind of meta um i kind of got the same feeling off of it it just didn't quite get as high uh, on my list so i did forget that there was one honorable mention i want to bring up um and it almost made it to my list but i didn't know whether it was considered a boss or a level which is probably why it didn't get there okay um I used to have a huge addiction to Guitar Hero. And in Guitar Hero 3, you used to have to face off against the Legends of Rock. Um, I actually think that might have been like a subtitle to the game was like Legends of Rock or I something like that. I believe it was. Like yep. And one of the most rewarding challenges for two reasons. Uh, it was a very hard pattern for me as a Guitar Hero player, um, but also he was one of my heroes was the face-off you have against Tom Morello. Morello is so good. On, on Expert, the rhythm of that, once you learned it, was actually just a lot of fun to play through. Um, But it kind of reminded me of, like, as I look back now, it reminds me of, like, Souls fights, where you're going to get your ass handed to you for a few times before you realize the flow of the battle. And that's what it is. It's a different take on Guitar Hero. It's not me versus the song. It's me against this other person, so to speak. That's a really um, interesting take. I I enjoyed it. And when I remember when I beat it, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And I was in college, and my roommate Tony was sitting there like cheering me on. And Tony doesn't <laughs> give a shit about video games. Um. But like I actually got Tony into Guitar Hero because of him watching me beat Tom on Guitar Hero 3. That's fantastic. Uh, also, I would like to bring in a suggestion from chat as a uh, boss that deserves to be mentioned here. Uh, if you are playing PUBG and Dale is in your squad, Dale is one of the most difficult bosses to overcome when he's on your team. And if you could win a round of PUBG with Dale in your squad, especially if he picked up a grenade at any point in time in the whole experience, um, that is a very, very rewarding experience. <laughs> I hate you all. <laughs> I hate you all. Hey, you're the one that asked for chat interaction. You're right. Put you're, that right out there. you're right. Uh, so real quick to, to, to wind up, wind up, wind up, end up, end my, my list. This is my full out cop out answer. I hear you like your Mega Man three. I see it. And I raise you a shadow of the Colossus collection. I don't think there is any one boss from Shadow of the Colossus that I could pick. The entire game is a full-blown experience that would be squandered and wasted to be summarized in just one experience, in one fight, in one interaction. And I feel like it's, it's kind of like a long-form fight getting to every one of the Colossus and reaching the end of the game. If you've not played Shadow of the Colossus, if you've not picked up the remaster that came out for the PS4, I highly encourage you to do so. It is one of the few games 
that I call a true experience over just being a game. I cannot sing its praises enough. Those freaking PS4 ex- uh, exclusives, man, keeping me out of the good times. Hey, it was on the PS2. I mean, I do still have a PS2 within arm's reach right now. I actually have a PS2. I actually have two, one that's working, one that's not. Um, Dale, to, to kind of go back, it just for those that, that need us to put things in simple form, can you read off your five that made it to the air quote official list for us? Sure thing. I was thinking Dark Souls 1 with Gwyn, Dark Souls 3 with Frida, Bloodborne with Father Gascoigne, Hollow Knight with the Mantis Lords slash Sisters of Battle, and Final Fantasy 6 with Kafka Palazzo. My personal list was Psycho Mantis from Metal Gear Solid 2, Pontiff from Dark Souls 3, the collective bosses of Mega Man 3, Seymour and his summon anima from Final Fantasy X, 25-man heroic Professor Putricide from World of Warcraft. Guys, I know that a lot of you, I, I had a few folks on, in my chat saying that they disagreed with some things, they would have added some things, they want to know where the fighter game love is. Um, I'll be real with you, man. I only play fighter games that are based in realism. Uh, I don't have anything against a good old Mortal Kombat, but I'm not going to grind it. I need like a a Tekken tag. Uh, Not all Tekken games are based in in real life fighting, but tag did a pretty decent job or like the Dead or Alive games. Dale, did you have anybody that was like, hey, listen, you can say whatever you want about the fan service in Dead or Alive. They used real fighting forms in most of the Dead or Alive games. Um, Dale, did you have anybody screaming in your chat about something we left out? Uh, not so much screaming. Uh, they get some love for uh, Devil, May, Devil May Cry 5 with the Virgil flight, which is phenomenal. And I've seen bits of it, but I'm very, very uneducated about how, how it all works. I just know I like the design of Virgil. And then we got some love for the Dark Souls 3 second DLC fight, Gale, which I think is a very respectable decision. Hmm. I would like to throw out there for my BBRP brethren and sisters, um, the Don Falcone versus Zelda fight. Um, Zelda is a heck of a final boss. (laughs) You win some, you lose some. Guys, this uh, this was a fun little experience for a multitude of reasons. Um, I always love looking back through my gaming history. Um, I suffer very much so from recency bias and actually had to force myself not to put games from just the past three or so years into this list because those are the ones that are currently most uh, fresh in my memory. Um, if you have your own list and you would like to share it, Please hop on by the discords. Uh, you can hop over into Dale's chat. You can hop into the Hall of Legends. Let us know. Um, Absolutely. You can get if if you're in our Twitch chats, we have the Discord commands to get there. We want to hear from you and your thoughts. If you're listening to this via the podcast and you're not spending your Saturday nights home alone in front of your computer watching two dudes talk about video games, <laughs> are you even living? Um, 
you know, stop just being one of these people that listens two days later. Come on by for the real event. Dale, if folks want to consume more of your content, where, where could they grab that at? Well, they could find me over at twitch.tv slash hey, it's Dale. H-E-Y-Y-I-T-S-D-A-L-E. Or if they can't catch me live, you can always find me on Twitter. Same handle. Um, I am extremely lazy. And I did not put together our Twitter for um, the show yet. Uh, I'll probably never do that. But if I ever do, it'll be the same handle as the name of the show, Bored and Nerdy. You can find me at twitch.tv slash sdandalegend. And that's pretty much it because I'm lazy. Um, if you enjoyed the show, guys, make sure to share it with a friend. Tell a friend. Bring a friend. Make a friend so that you could tell them about the show. Or, you know, just continue to be like us and have no friends. Um, that's always a great approach. Right. Any final thoughts for the folks? Any final thoughts for the folks, Dale? Uh, any final thoughts? What can I say? I don't know. I like all the I like all the suggestions. I like the uh, the the commitments, the the brainstorming. It's been a real blast trying to come up with stuff, and I can't wait to see what uh, our other topics are going to be. If you guys have ideas for topics, please let either Dale or I know. Otherwise, I'll pick another topic for next week, and you don't want that. Trust me. Guys, until we catch you next time, please do indeed stay gold. <laughs>